Hi, I'm Steve Acuna, your host of the 30-Minute Sage, your source of practical advice to move forward through corporate and life changes. I come to you as a certified professional in change management and life coaching with over 25 years of boots on the ground and leadership experience that spans five corporate industries. This podcast explores the challenges of leading corporate teams through change with the audacious goal to apply techniques and wisdoms that go well beyond the workplace and into daily life. Along the way, I will share my successes and failures, my learnings and my truths as I continue to transcend corporate life and apply my personal mission to raise consciousness that activates the power of our human community. Welcome to the 30-Minute Sage. Now let's get started. Welcome to Episode 10, Workplace Control Issues, Fear 2.0, and Leading Others Beyond Limits. Hey, before we get into the content, let's talk about the format of the podcast. First off, the podcast is casual, so it's like a conversation. This cuts down on heavy production and helps me to focus on sharing and content. In this episode, I'll talk about expressing excessive control in the workplace, a deeper dive into workplace fear as a contributing factor, and what it takes to go beyond these limitations to unlock new possibilities. It's my hope that you test these ideas and apply what makes sense to your situation, that process I call finding your inner sage. As always, I will share a takeaway for each segment so you have something you can reflect on afterwards. And please don't forget to send comments, hit the like button, and share with others to promote the podcast. Finally, this podcast is not therapy. Change management can be emotionally charged. And if you're not emotionally okay, please seek the professional assistance you need. Professional therapy has helped me and my family through tough times. So remember, it's okay to not be okay. All right, let's get into segment one, workplace control issues. So with this topic, you got to wonder, you know, what am I getting at? Um, well, it's about the behavioral response of control and when it becomes excessive in a workplace environment or a, for a project or an effort. Um, you know, in my experience, uh, there's a lot of factors here that contribute to excessive control, and some of them are very warranted. I mean, we very important to support and, and uphold. The first one, of course, is time. You know, well, we don't have a lot of time, but we are, you know, held to a certain deadline or something that's critically important for a business strategy. A lot of times really interesting behaviors come out uh, and control can be one of those behaviors where an individual feels that things are not moving as quickly as they should. Um, people are not responding uh, to expectations. And so uh, some individuals may find uh, that having control or forcing a direction or ensuring that people are in compliance to a situation is the way to go when it comes to that particular effort or project. And I'm going to say this, in some cases, it's very true that it should go that way. You know, if it's a, if it's a safety related issue or a regulatory requirement or things that you really don't have a lot of room for negotiation on, uh, these are the kinds of things that, that seem to work okay with having a little bit more of control or, or a degree of direction setting. That's really much more about compliance. Uh, there's other aspects too, you know, with safety, it could very well be about, um, it could be a manufacturing situation where you're, you're building uh, an airplane or something like that. I would hope that you'd have a lot of control over the outcomes of those particular work efforts 
to ensure that we have the, the level of quality that all of us deserve uh, for our own personal safety, that type of thing. So time can actually start to create a situation where um, the constraints are there. And as the constraints are there, they start to show up in behaviors that people exhibit, uh, specifically those individuals that are running projects or leading efforts or leading organizations. So just consider that uh, as kind of the, the starting point for it. Uh, the level of requirement, as I mentioned, is really critically important. And we need to understand, you know, is this a compliance type of situation where we must do this uh, or, or people could, you know, get hurt? Or is this something that we can negotiate a little bit more, bring people in, get involvement so that people feel a little bit more invested in the outcomes and uh, the direction setting as well as supporting the outcomes after the project is implemented, you know, whatever those changes are. Uh, one aspect I'd like to kind of bring up too that that have that I've seen is really this lack of influencing ability. You know the the competency to influence people. You know uh, when individuals that I've that I've worked with lack the um, perhaps the ability awareness uh, the word selection to help me understand what the benefits are for me to shift my thinking into something new. Um, it becomes, and it feels a little bit more forced. Uh, it's not sometimes, it's certainly not always the individual's intent to, to force an outcome or to be in the frame of mind that you must do it this way. Sometimes it's a matter of the person's ability to influence. So if you, if you lack influential skills, which means that, you know, the benefits of situations or, or, or jumping into somebody else's perspective to understand what's, in, what's in it for them. If that kind of muscle is, is a little bit weak, it's, it's okay. I mean, being aware of it is a first step of knowing that it's important, but it's also a part of the aspect of people understanding why it's important for them to respond differently or to be different in this new environment or new project or new implementation. So the lack of influence is something that I've found as an interesting uh, situation where people just don't have the selling skills. Uh, so if you if you're one of those individuals, don't, I mean, there's a lot of folks that struggle with with selling because it just doesn't it's not in their nature. But I do think it's important to know how to sell, how to bring up the benefits of something that's new and why why it's important to invest into it. Um, and, and that vision aspect of it is really affected by the ability for the individual, the leader or the project manager or, or individuals in the work effort itself to bring forward those benefits so that people understand the whys, okay? Uh, and a lot of it comes down to the what's in it for me type of stuff where uh, we associate uh, this work to something that's important to us as individuals, okay? So lack of influence uh, and the skill set of that, it needs to be invested in. You know, selling is important when it comes to change. Uh, there's also this fear of outcomes that are that perhaps could be speculative. Uh, fear of outcomes is something I'm, I'm leaving to the the second segment here, which is uh, fear 2.0, which really kind of dives a little bit more into the experiences I've had about certain fears that people um, kind of have inside. And as a result of that, there's certain behaviors that come out and control can be one of them. So for instance, just a, a little tidbit here before we get into segment two, but you know, the fear of, um, of failure is a big one. And a lot of times fear of failure can also produce certain behaviors that are it seems a little bit unnatural in some cases because of stress or 
the anxiety that's created when somebody feels as though something's not going well or it's going to fail. Okay, so that's an example of it. There's others, though, that I want to dive into in the second segment, just based off of my own experiences and what I've experienced. And also, you know, I've, I've felt these things, you know, I've, I've also been uh, I, I've also been in that situation where I've had to contend with my own thinking around fears uh, and what I'm actually how my behaviors are showing up in regards to those fears. Okay, so it's really important to kind of keep that in mind. There's, there's a fear component here that I'd like to dive into that's really, really key. Okay. So what do we do about this? You know, how do we start to formulate a way for us to understand, um, you know, a different environment or create a different environment rather? Well, first off, there's some things that are very simple that you can do. Uh, and they're, they're, you know, well-practiced in many organizations. The first one is creating guiding principles. Now guiding principles before you actually kick off an effort, really kind of tie into what is everyone going to, what's the highest level of agreement that everyone can come to in regards to the importance of an effort? Uh, you know, an example, you know, that's very, uh, an old example, obviously, and, and some cases, you know, it could even be a little controversial sometimes, but sometimes, you know, when we think about the customers, you know, and some companies, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very old statement, but, you know, the customer is always right. You know, um, you know, I, I don't know if that's always the case, depending on the circumstances or the product or, you know, um, what the situation is for a customer's safety or what have you. But in any case, if you have a customer that is complaining or needing something from you and given your product, your, your, your business and what you are actually promoting in your culture, you know, that statement could be very, very beneficial for everyone to agree to upfront before we actually get into a project situation so that everyone understands that that's, that's our bedrock. That's what we're going to essentially base a lot of decisions. And we're also going to negotiate within the, the confines of that particular guiding principle. But guiding principles are really meant to help with negotiations so that if there's there's folks that really don't feel as though things are going well, they have a way to address them through something that everyone can agree on. Okay, so take take some time and uh, develop some guiding principles. It's not, uh, it's not always great to have a ton of them, but, you know, having five to, you know, 10 at the most, I would say even 10, um, you know, that everyone can understand that this is why we are together. And this is why we're working on this together. Okay. Guiding principles, critically important. And again, they are the highest level of agreement that you can establish across all of the individuals involved, which helps to, uh, alleviate the tension and anxiety and also start, starts to really kind of, uh, manage some of the behavior, um, because without guiding principles or agreements, then the control component starts to come into play a little bit more because that agreement hasn't been expressed up front. Okay. So that's why I bring that up as a key component. Listen and involve. Okay. By listening and involving those that are a part of the project, you're actually uh, starting to negotiate up front by just understanding where people stand uh, when it comes to the outcomes of this effort or um, some type of change. Okay. So that means actually listening. That means actually trying to incorporate uh, the ideas of those individuals into the guiding principles or into the project planning. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a matter of sacrifice as well as part of that. And I want to, I want to mention that now, what I mean by sacrifice is that everyone gives up something in order to gain something. 
right? And that includes leadership and sponsors. You know, what sacrifices can we put to the cause so that everyone understands where you are at when it comes to your commitment and also your ability to adapt yourself uh, to support everyone for the outcome to be successful? Okay, important. Uh, You also want to determine through this process what you're comfortable with letting go of. Okay, that control component is also about that self-sacrificing component and making sure that you're demonstrating exactly what you would love to see everyone else demonstrate, okay, in regards to sacrificing so that everyone can win at the end, but everyone's going to give up a little something, you know, that's part of the negotiation process. And the last thing I'll bring up here is really the celebration of compromise. When when individuals um, have to find a way forward and um, when when there's disagreement or control is coming up and we're trying to find ways to alleviate those types of behaviors based off of these guiding principles and things like that, uh, it's important when negotiations create a situation where, where people feel as though uh, they're getting somewhere. And when that happens, you got to call it out. You got to celebrate it. You got to take the time to acknowledge those individuals that have made the sacrifice, um, have released a little bit of their, you know, perhaps their controlling nature to support an uh, innovation or growth of, of ideas within the project team. Okay. So these are the key areas that I've, uh, I've experienced and there's, there's probably more that I can think of, but I mean, these are the main ones that I kind of go in thinking about up front when it comes to new efforts. And it, this is all within the workplace, but of course, similarities happen in our daily lives. So these principles can be applied in many ways uh, across our life, which includes our workplace. So this brings me to takeaway number one, when leading others through difficult change, It's not about shutting people down and winning all the arguments. Leadership is about setting aside your assumption that you alone have all the answers. So again, when leading others through difficult change, it's not about shutting people down and winning all the arguments. Leadership is about setting aside your assumption that you alone have all the answers. I hope you found this segment helpful. Our second segment, Fear 2.0, builds on these concepts. So I look forward to you joining me in the next one. All right, let's get into segment two, Fear 2.0. This is a continuation from our first segment, Workplace Control Issues, where we talked a little bit about fear and how fear can actually create an outcome of controlling behaviors in a situation, Um, really kind of a a situation where there's less influence and much more forcefulness to get something done or to push for something to get done through the teams or through a relationship or what have you. Uh, You know, the idea about fear, though, is something I like to focus in on this particular segment that's really about certain outcomes that are feared. Um, Now, just backing up a bit, in episode eight, I talked about fear as well, and that was kind of like the fear 1.0, if you will, but it was really about fear that was much more individualized and uh, personal that helps you to understand what it takes to be brave. So I I would recommend you go back to episode eight if you haven't, haven't listened to that. It does tie into this, but fear is used in a different way in this particular segment. This is much more about the behavior of controlling outcomes 
or uh, really kind of pushing for things without the inclusion of ideas from others, or maybe even it stifles creativity, that type of thing. So one of the things I want to talk about with fear are things that I've experienced in regards to what creates um, certain behaviors. And in this case, I'll just use control as uh, controlling behavior as the example. You know, uh, there are a lot of different reasons why an individual might um, you know, fear certain outcomes and what those outcomes are based off of personality type and uh, experiences the individual has, maybe even baggage they carry on from previous jobs, or maybe even, you know, quote unquote traumas that they've had in the past uh, create certain responses uh, under certain conditions. And when you have constraint conditions, like you don't have a lot of time, or, you know, you just, you really want to get people on boarded and you just don't want to invest the time. Um, those kinds of things create that feeling of control over the situation, which could be excessive. And it could also affect morale and the way people feel about contributions of their work uh, in a project or an effort, or even in relationships as well, as I, as I like to expand on. It's not always in the workplace. In this case, I want to talk a little bit about some of the fears that I've seen that have actually created kind of behaviors, bad behaviors sometimes about controlling circumstances. Um, the first one is the fear of failure. Uh, I, I have this one. Uh, this is one in particular that I have to pay attention to because I, I really don't like to fail th on things, especially if there's a chance to, to not fail. And I want to try to explore as many options as I can to make sure it's successful. And this is something that's kind of hardwired in my personality and the way I think about things. But that fear of failure also could promote bad behavior in myself if I were to feel as though something was not going to work out and it was up to me to make a difference. In some cases, that is, uh, in a lot of cases in my past, that's been an increase correct assumption, um, you know, and actually including people in situations where failure is, is looking like uh, something that's a potential uh, actually energizes and a lot of times can create new solutions that I've, I've also, I've also learned from that process of, of including others in that situation rather than just me taking control and pushing or trying to insist on certain things get done a certain way. Another concept here is a fear of not being accepted, which can also impact the degree of control that you put on a situation. And a lot of times when you're promoting things that are risky or no one really buys in, but it's something that needs to be, that risk needs to be taken because it, you know, taking the risk outweighs uh, staying the same. Those kinds of things can also uh, test one's ability to stand alone and to not be with the crowd and to not basically uh, feel as though, you know, the crowd's acceptance of you as an individual is, is what's most important. But I do recognize that that is a dynamic though, that I've experienced in my past with, with team members and folks on my team, myself, and sometimes some, somewhat myself, uh, this one doesn't resonate as much with me, but I do see it in other leaders and it is something to, to contend with. Uh, the other is the fear of instability. Uh, you know, this whole concept about getting getting a process just right or having done something the same for a long period of time and then injecting some kind of change that's going to create instability, it creates a fear. It creates a, a need to, in some cases, it creates a need to protect what we, how we have done things before because we know uh, that that the outcomes are predictable because we've had that experience with those processes or ways of thinking or, or what have you. But the whole fear of instability is something that can actually create an outcome of somebody being resistant to a, ch resistant to a change or wanting to control outcomes in a different way. 
And the last one I've, I've seen that's really kind of strikes me is the fear of making mistakes. You know, the whole concept about making mistakes is, is something that, uh, depending on a person's experience and what they've dealt with in the past can be, um, can be a safe place, you know, where mistakes are understood and it's a, it's a learning mechanism, if you will. And in some cases it can also be traumatic, uh, that the individuals has had a bad experience making an error and then being called out, um, not a learning experience, but much more of a punitive experience for making mistakes. And, and I got to say that if it, it has been, if it was a latter one, it's a lot of times makes, makes, uh, for a lot of hesitancy in regards to making, um, taking risks and, and making change happen. Um, so these elements all seem to, in my experiences, of course, um, and limited to my experiences, uh, all seem to promote certain behaviors that might not be natural for the individual. Um, they might be circumstantial based off of the outcomes that are anticipated from a work effort. So in essence, if a failure is something that is uh, seriously a, a, a possibility or, you know, being ostracized, not accepted, not feeling belonging, uh, the belonging aspects of the work, um, you know, creating a lot of instability and in processes that uh, have been done for a long time, or even, you know, the worry that a mistake could be made and uh, that could be uh, detrimental to the individual or the team. All of these things create this need for questioning, um, sometimes controlling aspects of what we're doing and why and how. Um, in essence, it becomes kind of bad behavior that's not conducive or supportive to the outcomes necessary to be uh, strategic strategic in, in your business or in the way you're thinking or in anything really that you're trying to promote as, as an improvement or a next step evolution. So these are the things that I've come to recognize in my experiences as key points to watch for. So what do you do about them? Well, actually analyzing them, being intentional about mitigations around them, thinking about what, what fears are in the system can help you actually create, and as, as stated in the previous segment, creating guiding principles even that actually help individuals to understand that these things are known, but these are the things that we're going to do as guiding principles to offset them, to create a positive outcome, or to even understand that we are watching for these things because we want to make sure that people know that they're protected and their psychological safety, if you will, in the situation. Okay. This brings me to takeaway number two, which is negative behaviors can be a reflection of the fears and insecurities that one is trying to avoid. However, through intentional plans to remove fears and increase confidence, behaviors that enable trust and creativity begin to emerge. So again, the takeaway is negative behaviors can be a reflection of the fears and insecurities that one is trying to avoid. However, through intentional plans to remove fears and increase confidence, behaviors that enable trust and creativity begin to emerge. I hope this segment was helpful for you, and I look forward to you joining me in the third segment. All right, let's get into segment three, leading others beyond limits. Uh, this is an interesting segment for, for me because it's really about the limits that I'm going to focus in on. And one in particular, I'm going to talk about perfectionism and how that affects 
uh, you as an individual can affect you as an individual. It also can affect the team and the constraints that the team feels in regards to trying new things. So that's the point of this particular segment. But I want to tie in, first of all, a few of the fears from uh, segment two. You know, a lot of these things about uh, perfectionism can be tied to fear as well. And, and I want to get into that a little bit. Uh, we talked about four fears, fear of failure, uh, fear of not being accepted, uh, fear of instability, and the fear of mistakes. You know, I think everyone can probably identify with, with some of those, if not all of them, uh, when it comes to fear that makes you feel like you have to have, you know, extra control over a situation or, uh, or over others, if you will. Um, but I think it's really important to kind of tie this back to some of the drivers of what creates some behaviors that I've seen, at least from my experiences. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to hone in specifically on the last one, which is the fear of mistakes. You know, earlier in my career, the fear of mistakes was, was paralyzing sometimes, uh, because every time that I made a mistake, uh, it was, it was an event, right? It, it turned into something. Some of these were really kind of poor, really uh, bad experiences that I had just in trying to learn what business was all about, how to operate, how to work with other people, how to deal with m different manager styles at that time. And, you know, sometimes individuals were really punitive when it came to mistakes in my past. And those kinds of traumas, you know, kind of create this, uh, this anxiety, you know, that can create some anxiety around mistakes. I had all of that. And to the point where, you know, I would wake up in the middle of the night, uh, worried about something I couldn't remember whether or not I did something. And I was thinking, oh no, did I make a mistake? And, you know, I would actually stew on those kinds of things. Uh, and it was really, really difficult to get through all of that and recognize, you know, that it's not, it, it's not the end of the world, you know, but in my mind, it felt like it because there was so much pressure on my situation to just be successful because of where I was just getting my career started. And so there was this, this real effort, uh, and a lot of energy put into worry, uh, and about mistakes for me. And it was reinforced because, uh, you know, I think that managers at that time recognized that it brought the best out of me too. And so it's just kind of this difficult uh, paradox where it's like, you know, I, I worked my best under those circumstances because I did the extra, but at the same time, it really hurt me on the inside. You know, uh, it caused a lot of anxiety and stress. And, and I see that happening around folks that I work with even today. And so I can, I can relate to some of those circumstances that people are feeling or the situations that they're feeling. Uh, so this, this whole concept about fear of mistakes creates this nature of perfectionism, you know, trying to make sure everything is just right so that you don't get caught with anything um, that, that was an error or something that could be prevent, prevented. Um, the sad thing about it is that it really does stifle uh, people's ability to innovate and to take some risks. Uh, it stifles the learning of an organization as well, because that perfectionism is only going to be about those things that are completely under control today. Uh, meaning that if you can make them perfect, it's probably because you know them best and things that are brand new or innovations for a business or a new product, you aren't going to have that history. You're not going to know them as, as well. So as a result, it could create situations where um, you have an anxiety level that really is not being supported uh, to, to be reduced by leadership if the culture is like that in a business. Okay, so now don't get me wrong. I think that some things that, 
you know, I would like to see more closer to perfect, perfect, if you will. It's like, you know, come tax season, I, I'd like to see that my uh, my accountant that does my prep, this does the preparation is pretty close to perfect, right? I mean, I want to see that. If if we were in a situation where somebody was building an airplane, you know, um, I would like to see that the perfection is pretty much almost there, if not there, in in many cases because. Um, or at least within the the tolerance of what would be called perfection, because safety is involved, right? My my uh, my safety, the safety of my family that might be flying in that plane, those kinds of things, you know. So there's a little bit of this contradictions in in the fact of perfectionism. What I'm talking about is the stuff that's not going to hurt someone or cause cause an injury. I'm talking about just day-to-day stuff sometimes that creates anxiety that feels as though that communication that you feel like you could have written differently or or done something different with um should have uh, it feels like it feels like building a plane, right? Uh, that's what I'm talking about. So those are the kinds of anxieties that really created a lot of challenge for me in my early days and still do on occasion. You know, I have my bad days and all of a sudden I have the stress about it. I have to remember, right? I'm not perfect. Nobody is. Uh, so that's, that's just something I, I've come to realize. So what do we do about all of this? Well, first of all, uh, taking a deep breath and recognizing no one's dying, no one's bleeding. It's not that important to the point where you are losing sleep and your health is uh, going down the drain. Um, you, the, the reassessment of that has to be done by the individual, though. I got to a certain point in my career where I recognized that I didn't want to have a heart attack at 50, right? I I wanted to be healthy. I wanted to also be somebody who was not jaded or... Um, burnt out beyond belief, you know, when it comes to a job. So I had to reframe a lot of my thinking around perfectionism to the point of knowing that it wasn't really that important. And here's where it started. I was working for a very large uh, tech company that's very well known. Um, and my boss pulled me aside because I was just going through some stuff, you know, I, I, the family stuff, and he knew about it because I was having to take some PTO time or um, personal time off uh, to deal with family things. And, and so he knew all that was going on. And he also recognized that I was really working hard, you know, after hours on the weekends too, because I really wanted to just land this project and this work effort really well. And I was excited about it. I, I, I was so excited about it, I had endless energy for it. So it didn't feel like work to me. So I, it was it was actually fun. But he also uh, gave me some advice, gave me some feedback um, and, and started with, uh, hey, I have some observations I just want to share with you and uh, maybe some advice as well. And I said, of course, yeah. So uh, he pulled me into his office and you know, he said, you know, you're working really hard. The work that you're doing is is phenomenal. Um, it's it's really uh, amazing what you're getting done with all the stuff that's going on. And uh, so thank you for that. And I was like, yeah, of course, it's my job, right? Um, but what, you know, what's the point? What, do, what are you getting at is, is I'm waiting for that next, uh, that next statement. And he says, you know, to be honest with you, Steve, you're 80% in this job right now and what you're doing is the equivalent of most people's 100%. So you don't have to work so hard for that 20%. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to relieve yourself from that so that you can take care of other things and not be concerned uh, about my what I believe and what I know about your work and performance. And I, I thought that that was one of the biggest, greatest gifts, you know, that a manager could give me at that time 
because I was really struggling inside, but I wasn't wanting to show it. I didn't want anybody to see me sweat, right? I can do it. I can handle it. You know, it's that whole fake it to make it kind of attitude that I had back in those days years ago. Um, but it wasn't, it was, I was, I was faking it, but it was, it was starting to really kind of take a toll on me, um, you know, and, and my sleep and everything else. And it was, it was not healthy, but you know, when he said that it made me reframe my work and what I consider, what I considered good work. Right. So it actually reduced my, my level of personal perfectionism, if you will. And why is that important? Because that personal perfectionism was uh, also something that I kept in mind when I was managing my team at that time as well. And I know that I was probably, you know, kicking the tires a little too much with folks that really could live up to an 80%. And that 80%, by the way, is better than, you know, industry standard or our competitors. But I was looking for more and more and more and more. And that, that situation really was creating, you know, a dynamic um, and my boss was was observing this and, and wanting to prevent any kind of issues going forward. Okay, so the the key factor here is self awareness. Take a deep breath. Recognize that this is not as important as you really kind of maybe emotionally or mentally think it is. Um, understand what is important and know your tolerance levels. Know that you can make mistakes and still learn from them and gain so much more wisdom out of it because you're aware and you're also intentional about the learning. Okay. So these are things that I, I come to learn in this situation when it comes to perfectionism. Why it's important though is because perfectionism actually reduces your ability to innovate because you just kind of get, for me at least, I became risk adverse. And by being risk adverse, adverse, I wasn't really uh, on my game when it came to being uh, innovative. And this is something that needs to be promoted through teams so that other teams can break through their uh, limitations and recognize that it's not about making the perfect, everything perfect that you already know. Sometimes it's about the imperfect things that you don't know a lot about that actually creates the breakthrough that's necessary for you as an individual, as a team, as a business, as a family, as a friend, whatever it is, these are things that can help to really alleviate the stress and anxiety that seems to be part of the nature of a lot of industries, okay? This brings me to takeaway number three which is really a positive statement. And I want to, I want to be intentional about that. So it's, uh, it's this, what an amazing world we live in. Be grateful for the imperfect risk-taking innovator that dreams beyond the limits of perfectionism. So again, the takeaway is what an amazing world we live in. Be grateful for the imperfect risk-taking innovator that dreams beyond the limits of perfectionism. So keep this all in mind. Perfectionism is something that could uh, be good in some cases when it comes to really important safety related issues and things like that. But in most cases, it's not. It's really a limiting factor that creates a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. So let's reduce all of that by reducing perfectionism in our lives and the influence it has over our ability to innovate and to be free to act and to learn from our mistakes. All right, let's go ahead and summarize our episode. In segment one, workplace control issues, I talked about how the factors of time, 
requirements, or even the lack of influencing skills affect behavior, specifically unnatural behavior around controlling others or outcomes. I also introduced a few fears about negative outcomes that I've seen in my experience that have influenced controlling behaviors. The takeaway was, when leading others through difficult change, it's not about shutting people down and winning all the arguments. It's about setting aside your assumption that you alone have all the answers. In segment two, Fear 2.0, I discussed four fears that I've seen that have created control issues in my past experiences in the workplace. They were the fear of failure, the fear of not being accepted, the fear of instability, and the fear of mistakes. I discussed how mitigation of these fears up front can remove the need for control. The takeaway was, negative behaviors can be a reflection of the fears and insecurities that one is trying to avoid. However, through intentional plans to remove fears and increase confidence, behaviors that enable trust and creativity begin to emerge. And finally, in segment three, leading others beyond limits, I talked about perfectionism and how unrealistic expectations in yourself and others inhibit the freedom to innovate, learn from mistakes, and how it creates overall stagnation in competitive environments. The takeaway was, what an amazing world we live in. Be grateful for the imperfect, risk-taking innovator that dreams beyond the limits of perfectionism. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to you joining me next time.